Here we are again. We're ready to look at God's Word, and we're going to be looking at Romans 6. No news to anybody. <laughs> My Bible's starting to fall right open to it on its own. <laughs> we're Romans 6. We're going to be in verses 7 through 9 tonight, but God's going to show us some other things before we actually, we actually get there into this fourth teaching. I was thinking back to the second week that we came together, and some of us were just praying before we started, and one of the girls that was praying just in her prayer said, Lord, you've got to make this easier. I didn't know this was going to be so hard. And then somebody else said, I wish the Lord would just kill me himself because I don't know how to do it. And then last week somebody told me, I tell you what, every week I just want to quit. And I said to them, guess what, me too. And, and because I really do. I mean, I, as I am allowing the Lord to show me some things, it's not a pretty sight all the time. You know, and somebody recently told me, you know, this is really hard. And when I asked them why, they said, well, I haven't really looked at myself this hard in a long time. You know, because we just get on the, you know, treadmill of life and we're going and we're going and we're going and we don't always stop and look and, and we don't always stop and look at Jesus either. And sometimes when we look really intently at Jesus and we look really intently at ourselves, we see the difference. And whereas we might have been thinking we were a little bit closer than that, you know, and it causes our heart to be a little discouraged, but yet God has a message of life. And I don't know if you've ever grabbed a hold of your child or just somebody's, you know, child's face and you've just gotten, you know, right in their face because you don't want them to turn their head. You want them to look at you. Your tone is intense, but it's loving, but you are right in their face because you want to tell them something that you want to make sure they get it and that they really hear it. And I tell you, that's the kind of feel I get from this chapter. Like God is grabbing a hold of our faces and just saying, don't look to the left, don't look to the right, listen to me. I want to make sure you understand what it is I'm trying to tell you. And I'm really looking forward to this lesson tonight because I believe the Lord's going to bring some clarity for us about some things. I believe God's going to take our face in his hands and really help us to look at the wonder and, you know, the challenge of the Christian journey, because we really need to understand when people don't have clarity about things and yet they try to be about a task of doing something, a lot of negative things can happen. For instance, confusion. If you don't have clarity, there's confusion. If you don't have clarity, a lot of times mistakes are made. Arguments happen, you know, poor communication, because if you don't know what it is you're talking about, it's kind of hard to talk about it, isn't it? (laughs) And sometimes even paralysis can happen because if you don't have clarity, a lot of times you just throw your hands up in the air and you just do nothing. You say, well, let's just stay put. Well, you don't want to do that in your Christian journey either. And we could go on and on about what happens when people really don't have clear thinking. And clarity is so important. And, And as I've been asking the Lord, you know, I just keep going back to him and saying, Lord, what do you want this to say? What is, what is this saying to us for this time? And, and how do you want this to be communicated? This last week, I really wrestled as I was in these three verses, verses 7 through 9, about, Lord, what it is, is it that you're trying to say? And finally, I just really got the sense that he wanted us to just take a deep breath for a little bit and get some clarity about some things before we keep moving forward so that we make sure we really understand, you know, some of the terms, what the real issue is, and then we can follow through with clearer thinking that's going to probably then result in more righteous living. I know from my own experience and talking to a lot of other people that 
it's really easy to get confused in your Christian journey, isn't it? You know, do you hit those places of confusion and you're just like, Lord, what are you doing? What are you trying to say? I don't understand how this lines up with this or this is what I was taught all my life, but I found this in the Word and I, I'm not getting it. And, and it's, it's easy for that to happen. I mean, sometimes misinformed people are doing the leading. <laughs> and, and a lot of, you know, confusion can result from that. I, I mean, I have a real reverential fear about being the teacher because I don't want to be misinformed, you know, and it's kind of scary sometimes to be responsible for communicating God's truth. Sometimes traditions will overrule truth, you know, and, and they eventually become somebody's personal truth. And, and that causes a lot of confusion in the Christian journey. Sometimes people's own personal experience overrules a revelation from God. In other words, what happened to me becomes more important than what really God has said. Or maybe I don't even really take much time to look at what God is saying because I'm so caught up in all the experiences that I'm having. And so then there can be, you know, misinformation and confusion that way too. And just a simple neglect of God's word, which happens a lot in the body of Christ, causes a lack of clarity. We need clarity. And so tonight we're just going to take a deep breath for a little bit. And we're going to look at some terms. We're going to look at the real issue and make sure we've got some clarity before we actually look at verses 7 through 9. And I I really believe that even the more this got developed over the week, that this is really, really important, especially as we're going to continue moving through Romans 6, that we understand this. And so I would encourage you even to, you know, go back. The notes are a little longer this week. And I would encourage you to go back if you need, you know, and really read through them and make sure you understand what it is we're meaning when we say some of these things so that'll help you to really grab a hold of the verses even in a better way. Let's just ask the Lord to bless us with some clarity tonight. God, we know that you are the giver of truth. You are the one that brings understanding. You are our teacher. Lord, I just ask you to open up our hearts, our minds, and give us the clarity that we need. Father, help us to keep seeking you. Continue to bring greater and greater understanding as we continue to seek you, Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the first term we're going to look at is one we hear a lot. Don't always like to talk about it. It's the word sin, okay? And it's not a pretty word, but God talks about it a lot. In fact, in Romans chapter 6, you see the word quite a bit. We've only gotten through, you know, uh, it'll be nine verses this week, and you've already seen it five times. In verse 1, are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? Verse 2, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? Verse 6, you see it two times, that our body of sin might be done away with, and then that we should no longer be slaves to sin. And then in verse 7, he who has died is freed from sin. If you go through the whole chapter of Romans 6, you actually see the word 16 times. And two times it's referred to by the pronoun it, so really 18 times. And every single time this word is used, it's translated from the Greek word H-A-M-A-R-T-I-A, which is pronounced hamartia, and it means to miss the mark or to wander from God's law. Now, what does that mean, to miss the mark or to wander away from God's law? We think about this. God had a life marked out for us when he created us, how we would think, how we would feel, how we would make choices, relate to others, relate to him. I mean, all these plans for us, just like if we have children, even when they're teeny babies, 
We've got thoughts and plans and ideas of what we want their life to become. We'll magnify that about a million times for our Father. <laughs> and He has a plan. He has a mark and a course set out for us. I mean, in the Word, as He was speaking to the children of Israel, He said this very popular verse that many of us know, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to bring you a hope, to bring you a future. And everything he created, he created with purpose. You go back to Genesis 1. I mean, there's purpose in all of these things. But you think about, what if the sun didn't hit its mark when it rose? Like if it only went halfway. You know, that, that would mess God's plan up, wouldn't it? Or what if the clouds, you know, wandered away from their purpose of dropping rain? Now, tonight we might go praise the Lord because it's been raining here for, you know, four days straight, it seems like. But, but what if they didn't do that? Or what if the ocean didn't hit its mark of stopping on the shore where God has designed for it to stop? And it just kept going and going and going, you know? Well, what if that happened? Well, if God created us in his image, don't you think that he has more greater purpose than those things, even as great as those are? He has far-reaching purposes for our lives. And when we don't hit the mark, when we don't you know, hit it right on of his intent for us or we wander away, then we thwart his plans in our lives. And God wants us to hit that mark so his plan can come into fruition. You think about this. He created Adam and Eve and he had a plan for them. They were on the mark at first, weren't they? When they were in the garden, they were right on the center, right, right where God wanted them. They hadn't wandered away yet and they were enjoying his presence and there were so many blessings just flowing, you know, just the way God wanted it to be in the Garden of Eden. But then we know what happened there, don't we? You know, in chapter 2, God had said to Adam, he said, you can eat of any tree in the garden. You can eat of this tree that's in the middle of the garden, the, the tree of life. You can have free access to it. But there's another tree right next to it, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat from that tree. In the day you eat of it, you will surely die. That's what God said to him. Well, by chapter 3... Satan, in the form of a serpent, talking to Eve, persuading her, lying to her, telling her, oh, that's not what God meant. He even said, God knows. Like Satan knows what God, you know, that, that, that hit me this week. I'm like, God, he didn't know what God knows. <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't know what God knows. We, we don't know the heart of God and the mind of God. But he told her, God knows this, and he was wrong. But it tells us that when Eve saw that the fruit was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that it was desirable to make one wise, all those things were lies, (laughs) she took of it and she ate of it. And then she gave some to her husband as well. And what happened there was that they missed the mark. (laughs) They wandered away from what God had said. And when that sin entered the world, man lost the blessings of God's presence, which then opened up a world of sinful choices and motives and intents and thought patterns and all of those kinds of things for every man. And we saw that in the first lesson as we looked at Romans 5.18, which seems like God just keeps bringing that scripture up again and again, and I think he will continue to do that. In Romans 5.18, it says, through one transgression, and that's the transgression, that transgression of Adam and Eve, through one transgression, there resulted condemnation of, um, to all men. And you know what? That condemnation took root in man so quickly that by the time you get over just three more chapters into Genesis chapter 6, you know what it says about man? It says every intent of the thoughts of man's heart was only toward evil all the time. That's how quick sin took root and grew up in man because sin 
runs deep. And I know for many of us, you know, we grew up in church. We've talked about sin all our lives and we may think, oh, I don't need to clarify this. You know, I know what sin is. Let's get on with it. But we need to think about this and we need to understand what it really does to us. See, a lot of times I think we might think of missing the mark in relation to sin as something that we do or that we don't do. And, and that's, that's very true. But it goes so much deeper than that. Because we can't even begin to imagine how sin affects us in the inward parts. Now, as we've been looking at ourselves some over the last few weeks, we've become apparent, you know, it's become apparent to some of us. But there are layers of sin in our hearts that, that God sees that we don't see. I've been doing some study in the book of Isaiah too. And in Isaiah 1.5, God describes uh, a man who's living in sin. And he says, the whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. In some versions, it says from the head to the toe, he's sick with sin. That's how it describes him. Scripture contemplates sin on many, many sides. And see, in Romans 6, it's that same word every time, that word hamartia, that, that means missing God's mark. But all over the Bible, sin comes from different words, you know, that are translated from other Hebrew or Greek words. And I want to just give you some of the other definitions of sin. Overpassing or transgressing a line disobedience to a voice. And these will be in your notes too if you can't get them down quick enough. Disobedience to a voice. The falling where somebody should have stood upright, they fell. Ignorance of what somebody should have known. All these things are considered to be sin. Diminishing something that should have been rendered out in full measure. That's sin. Non-observance of the law. Discord in the harmonies of God's plan. A failing to grasp something is sin. I'm missing the true end and scope of our lives. Just missing what we're supposed to be doing with ourselves. That's sin. Obviously, sin is far-reaching into the soul. In fact, the Bible says the heart of man is deceitful above everything. Meaning, many times we deceive ourselves and we don't even think we have any sin. And we don't even realize that it's there in our lives because it's so deeply ingrained. But you know, when I think about all of these descriptions of sin... All the ones that I just gave out to you. You know, it it strikes me that every one of those things is really missing God's mark. (laughs) Because every one of those things, it wanders away from what God had originally intended. So it's not any wonder to me in this chapter of Hebrews 6 that every single time it, it mentions sin, it uses that exact word. Because that really encompasses the whole of what sin is. And Romans chapter 6 is really a chapter about sin versus life. And so it refers to sin every time with that word hamartia, meaning to miss the mark. Think of it like this. I have a Wii, uh, one of those Wii machines, you know, I don't know what you call it, Wii, at our house. And on Sunday mornings, I weigh myself on that Wii. Now, we used to have a scale. And for years, I didn't weigh myself at all because I just really was in the mindset of, I just want to make sure that food is not being a master over me. But I've gotten into, you know, in the last year or so, I've realized it's a good tool. I just need to keep it in balance. So I usually will weigh myself once a week. But the thing about a we is you really, um, it's going to tell you exactly what the truth is. Because, see, on the other scale we used to have, if you lean forward a little bit, you know, you can make it go. I mean, you couldn't play with it about 10 pounds, and you felt pretty good, you know. So that's when I kind of ditched the whole weighing thing anyway because I realized it wasn't real accurate. But this we is. 
But the thing about a Wii is you can't just get up there and do your weight. you got to do some other stuff first. Well, one of the things it has you do is this balance test that you have to go through. And so it always tells you, you know, close your eyes, and it's going to tell you whether or not you're centered in your balance, you know, or are you a little off balance to the right or a little to the left. And so I will stand up on that thing, and I'll close my eyes, and in my mind, I'm balanced, man. I'm just like, I've got it all centered, and I just know I am right on the mark for being balanced. And then I opened up my eyes, and they have this little graph thing. Yeah, Cynthia, you've seen it. And it's got this line down the middle, and there's a little red dot. And it's supposed to be right on this line. And I've convinced myself in my mind that I am right on the line. It's never happened. Every time I'm a little to the right or a little to the left or sometimes way over here. And here I thought that I was hitting the mark. And that's what happens so often with us as we don't really stop and let God examine us is that we just get in this mindset of, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm right with God, I'm doing good, and yet we're really far off. We're not hitting the mark at all. Sin is when we miss God's mark, and it's not our mark. <laughs> it's not our thinking of what the mark might be. It's not our determination of what's right and wrong. It's his mark. See, we might say, well, I don't think it's wrong to do that or it doesn't matter, or so-and-so is not looking, or this, that, or the other. But what does God say? And God's word tells us what the mark is. We cannot discern it on our own. And that is why, just as we were talking about earlier, we have to be in the word. If we're truly interested in going hard after this life that God has talked to us about, just like we were talking about earlier as well. If we're truly interested in letting God you know, deal, deal with the sin in us. We've got to get his definition of what it is. So hold those thoughts and let's look at another term that we really need to clarify because we're talking about it a lot in this study and it is the word self, okay? We, I mean, our title of this study is So Long Self, but it would be very easy for us to not be clear about what we mean by that word self. Last week, we actually talked about it a little bit in verse six when it said that our old self would be crucified, but I told you we were going to spend a little bit more time on it this week, and so here's our opportunity. You know, when we say so long self, what do we really mean by that phrase? Are we talking about you just need to get rid of every single thought of yourself and never think of yourself at all if you do it's sin? I mean, is that what we mean? Do we mean, oh, I need to get rid of this habit and this habit and this habit and then I'll be good with God? I mean, is that what we mean? You know, identifying our bad habits and and then getting rid of them? Are we talking about literally getting rid of ourselves, like killing ourselves? (laughs) I mean, what do we really mean? And, you know, you laugh at that and you think, well, that's not what we mean. But there have been people that get that confused and that that kind of, you know, extremities with it. We, uh, when I was in high school, my senior year, I was doing a project on monastic life and something in a literature class I was in and actually had to go visit a monastery to see what it was like. And it was, we actually went to this monastery over on Harpersville Road. Now it's actually a prayer center called the International House of Prayer. But at that time, it was a monastery, and it was a group of cloistered nuns that lived there. I had no idea what I was walking into. I went in, and we were going to talk to this uh, head mother. But we couldn't be in the same room as she because they were a cloistered group of nuns, meaning they were not allowed to have any contact with the outside world. Once they took their vows, could never be have any kind of contact with even their family members. So there was a screen between us. Found out while we were there that you know they never turned the heat on in there. They went barefoot. They wore these little robes. Uh, they shaved their heads. They slept on these um, 
pieces of plywood with a hay mattress on top of it, ate mush. That's, I mean, I left that place as a senior in high school and somebody who loved God thinking, oh my goodness, what am I doing? Is that what you're supposed to do to follow God? And what does that mean? You know, but that's the kind of extremes that people can go to to deal with themselves sometimes and to think, I've got to get rid of myself. I've got to get rid of myself so God can be holy in me. Now, what is it that God means when he says, die to self? What does he mean? You know, confusion can come with that as well because you think about this. You know, we we tell people all the time, Jesus loves you. But then we read scriptures like, Jesus wants you to get rid of you. For people, that can cause confusion. Or for women who many of us carry around a load of guilt with us everywhere we go anyway. And then you start telling them, you need to get rid of self, and that's a problem. This is a problem. This is a problem. And then, you know, you just get in this downward spiral, and you think, Jesus is so mad at me. I'll never measure up. You know, so what do we really mean when we're talking about saying so long self? It can be pretty confusing. Well, one of the greatest clarity lessons that God ever gave me was really in this area of, of self and what, what that means. It, it literally changed my whole thinking It changed my understanding of scripture. And because of that, I teach about it a whole lot. In fact, if you hear me teach several times, I will probably bring it up at some point. In fact, we've looked at it a little bit in uh, week two already. But in my early days of being a focused believer, when I was about 29, 30 years old, and that's when I first had really started seeking God out in his word, I wanted to know why, okay, God, I've really gotten committed here. And I love you and I'm in your word, but I knew that I still had some real sin issues going on. And I couldn't figure that out. I was like, God, why am I doing all these things I don't want to do when I love you so much? And I really am finally seeking you like I feel like you want me to. And I didn't understand. And I had learned that God was my teacher. The Holy Spirit within me was my teacher. And so I just said, I'm going to ask him. And so I started asking him, "I I want you to show me about that. I want you to give me some clarity about that. Well, I was set to go to a new Bible study in my town. I lived in Alabama at the time, and it was just going to be this small Bible study with this lady that I had met, and, and it seemed like I you know, would respect her. And, and so I was excited to go, and I probably three or four days had been asking the Lord you know, about this question. Why am I still doing all this stuff and can't seem to have any power over it? Well, I went to the study, and the teacher said, I know we were supposed to start studying this today, but the Holy Spirit, whatever it was we were supposed to study, I don't remember, but she said the Holy Spirit really has put upon my heart that we need to study something else today. And she went on to answer that question in such detail to the way that I had been asking. I sat there just stunned, but couldn't write fast enough. In fact, in the back of my Bible is the notes that I was taking that day. I mean, I was just writing as fast as I could. Her teaching was about how we are made in the image of God, how God is literally Three and one, one and three, that's hard to wrap our minds around, but he is Father, he's Son, and he's Holy Spirit, and yet he's one God. It's the, the concept of the Trinity. But we are made in his image, and how we also are three and one and one and three, how we are spirit, soul, and body. And she showed us this three-part description in First Thessalonians. We'll look at it in just a minute. But she went on to explain in great depth about the impact that that has in our lives and how sin plays out in our lives. Well, I got home and I was, I mean, my mind was just so full and I just wanted to look at that some more. And, and I was so thankful because I knew that God had answered my prayer. 
Well, I got home and I grabbed the mail and I pulled it out. And on the top, there was an envelope from Joyce Meyer Ministries. And at that time, her ministry was still pretty small. And I, I had recently just started, you know, supporting it. And she would send you a letter once a month. Well, that was the letter. And on the front, it said, understanding your spirit, soul, and body. And I was like, wow. And so I opened it up real quick. And there were notes that was just like exactly what I had just been taught. And I just couldn't believe it. I, I was like, Lord, I thought, I'm, I'm 29, 30 years old. I, I've never heard this in my whole life. And you're answering my question. And it just went on to show me how good of a teacher he is. Because in three hours, not only did he teach me what I had been asking, but then he gave me follow-up notes to go with it. You know, he's just so good. But I studied that for months. And I often come back to it, even getting more and more and more clarity from God's word. It's kind of like that uh, word we looked at in verse six, where it says, knowing this. And it was that idea last week of becoming one with some information. Well, I studied that so much over the years and it just, it's just become a part of me and how I think and how it's the backdrop of how I really understand how I even relate to the Lord in terms of myself and, and my spirit and who I am in him. But it really gave me a lot of clarity for understanding a lot of other parts of the word. And what I want to do tonight is share with you that basic teaching. Certainly, we don't have time to go into all of it. I've been studying it for years, okay? But I do want to share with you some of the basics because I think it's going to help us to grab a hold of a definition of self before we keep going on and looking at some more of these verses in Romans 6. You might want to turn with me over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, so I can just show you where it specifically identifies three, three parts together. And it reads like this. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and your soul and your body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a scripture that mentions them together. These terms are used all over the New Testament as well. But let me just refer to them as they're used here. The spirit is the place where God dwells within you. Okay, and that that's the life of God in you, where he comes to life in you, the Holy Spirit himself. And that word, the Greek word there is actually P-N-U-E-M-A, P-N-U-E-M-A. And it means the Holy Spirit within you. Okay, your soul, the definition for your soul would be your mind, your will and your emotions. And the word for that is the word suke and it's spelled P-S-Y-C-H-E. Now, does that look like one of our words? Psyche, yes. And that's where we get that word psyche from, although it's pronounced in the Greek suke, but it means the center and thought of the behavior of an individual, which would be the mind, the will, and the emotions. So a simple definition for soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's what makes me an individual different from you. I think differently than you. I feel differently than you. I make different choices than you. Sometimes that word is also spelled in the Greek P-S- U C H E, okay? But it's the same word. Then you have your body. And the Greek word there is S O M A. And basically, what that is, it's your earth suit, okay? It's a tent for you to live in. This is not really who you are. We all know that. We don't always act like that, but, you know, that, that's what it is. Your body is your earth suit. Now, in the Garden of Eden, God said to Adam and Eve, you know, if you eat from this tree, you're surely going to die. Now, we hear that word die or we hear the word death and we think singularly, right? We think physical death. But if we are three parts in one, death has to affect every part, right? It has to affect your spirit, 
your soul, and your body. Now, we're going somewhere with this, so just, just stay with me. We're going to end up defining self in this way. If we look deeper, we're going to see that death actually goes way deeper than the physical, and we probably know that. But to really think it out step by step is important. So let's relate it to Adam and Eve. Death affected the spirit of Adam and Eve for sure. God's spirit would no longer dwell in man. And God had said to them, in the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. Well, some people look at that and they think, well, they didn't die. Not right then. Yes, they did. Their spirit died immediately because God will not dwell in the presence of sin. Now, Death affects the soul of man as well. Now, what's the soul? It's your mind, your will, and your emotions. Well, now their mind, their will, and their emotions were subject to the slow death without God's leadership that people go through. And it's that death of their mind, will, and emotions. In fact, that's why by chapter 6, every thought of the thoughts of man's heart was only toward evil all the time. And we'll talk about that in just a minute more when we talk about the term death. But death also, when you know, they made this choice. It put them in the position that now their body was subject to physical death as well, whereas before that would not have happened. So when we think of us being these people that are not just, you know, singular, but we really have a spirit, a soul, and a body, when we say the word self, what part of us are we really referring to? Are we referring to the spirit? No, that's God's life, okay? So we're not talking about saying so long to him, (laughs) When when we're talking about the body, is that what we mean? No. You think about somebody being in a coma. You know, the body might be alive, but what do we say? Well, that person's not even really there, right? You know, we're waiting for them to come back, you know? So that's not what we mean when we say self. Would it be the soul, the mind, the will, the emotions? Absolutely. That's exactly what we mean when we say self. Because that's what makes you and me different. It's what, it's what identifies us differently from one another. See, before sin entered the earth, everything was perfect. God's spirit was dwelling in man, and God's spirit was in charge of man, and he was leading man. And God, as a holy God, is going to lead man into holy living when he's on the throne of a man's life. But when we sin, when we miss God's mark and go off and wander away from him and do our own thing, there's that death of the Spirit of God in man. And man begins to live his own way and walk his own way without God, thinking what he wants to think about, his mind, doing what he wants to do, his will, feeling what he wants to feel, his emotions. And all of these things direct the body towards sin, missing God's mark. Because without God's leadership, we don't even know what God's mark is, do we? We have no clue. So before sin, you have that time of God leading man. After sin, it's a time of self leading man. So when we say self, we're talking about each one of us living our own lives, ruled by our soul, by our own will, our own mind, and our own emotions. That's what we mean when we say self, saying so long to self. And we've all done it. We've all done it. That's why the Bible says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in Romans 5.18, it said that everyone has been condemned to life without God. But here's what happens when somebody becomes a Christian. If you think about in John chapter 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus, didn't he? And he said, I want to see the kingdom of God. And what did Jesus say to him? I'm going to turn over there because I want to read it exactly like Jesus said. In John chapter 3, he told him he had to be born again. And Nicodemus was like, well, how can a person when he's older go back into his mother's womb? But in verse 5 of John 3, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
This is Jesus speaking. He says, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. In other words, the spirit of God needed to be reborn in man. And that's what the sacrifice of Christ does for us. It puts us in a position to be able to have the spirit of God alive in us again. Going back again to Romans 5.18, we might as well memorize that one too because we're going to refer to it so much. But it says, through one transgression, there was condemnation to all men. But through one act of righteousness, that's the act of Christ on the cross for us, there resulted in justification of life for all men. You know what that word justification means? A simple way to remember is just as if I've never sinned. And so it puts us in a place where God looks at us because we're covered in Christ's blood and in his sacrifice and says, that person has never sinned. And, 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 and it puts him in a position then in his system of justice, still God's choice, but his system of justice where he can then be reborn in us again if we choose to allow him to come in. But ladies, here's the dilemma. Here's the dilemma. And we know this, but it's important to understand the clarity of this in our minds. We're still alive here on this earth. <laughs> And for years, we've been living with self in charge. Our mind thinking what it wants to think. Our will doing what it wants to do. Our emotions just going here, there, and everywhere, you know? And these patterns are so ingrained within us. Now that God has come to life in us again, he should be in charge. The question is, am I going to let him? Am I going to let him? And it all plays into this idea of crucifying self. Getting rid of self. So we go back to the original question. What does it really mean when we say so long self? Hopefully you're seeing it's that idea that just as when Jesus came to earth, Jesus had the choice. He was fully God, but he was fully man as well. So he had all of that going on as well, but he always came under the leadership of his father. He did not go off in his own thinking. He did not go off in his own will. He did not go off in his own emotions. He always yielded and put self to the side and yielded to the father's leadership. So in his likeness, when I say so long self, I'm saying self, you're not in charge of me. God is in charge all the time. Now it doesn't mean you never think of yourself. Not at all. God thinks of you. He loves you. He's in charge. He's going to just bless you sometimes just because he loves you. That's how he is. It doesn't mean that you always, every single time, have to put everybody in front of yourself and and never do for yourself. That's not what saying so long self means. Not at all. And yet we can get caught up in that and be under a guilt trap of that. Think about the times that God called Jesus to go off by himself, to take care of himself, to get some rest and to get something to eat and to pray. That was real stuff. But yet it came under the leadership of God himself. Whatever he did, he did under the Father's leadership, and we have to do the same. Saying so long self is us surrendering to self this person who's been in charge of themselves all their lives, and we willingly put that to death, our mind, our will, and our emotions, and God will give that direction for every single moment. But I'll tell you this, self will try to exalt itself every day in your life. From the minute you wake up, 
it's going to start happening. Trying to get into your mind, trying to get into your will, trying to be in your emotions, trying to get you to put yourself on the throne. And if it doesn't succeed when you first wake up, it'll try again about 10 o'clock in the morning. And it'll keep trying throughout the day. And that's why the Word of God tells us, and, and this is another one of these scriptures that's just kind of becoming signature as we work our way through this. But Luke chapter 9 and verses 23 and 24 tells us, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. And we've read this, but I want to read it again because I want to point something out to you here. It says, for whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he's the one who will save it. Sometimes there's just great value in being able to look at what these original words were. Do you know what the word for life is in this verse 24? It's the word suke, (laughs) your mind your will, and your emotions. Whoever wishes to save that, his life, meaning your soul, is going to lose it. But whoever loses his life, whoever is willing to put down and and dethrone his mind, his will, and emotions for, for Christ's sake, he's the one who's literally going to end up saving it. I mean, you can exalt yourself, and people do all the time. You might live with people who do. You might be one of them. (laughs) You know, you probably are. I am. But you know what? Even if you think your choices are going to bring you real life or make you feel better, it doesn't last. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's only going to last for a short time. We were designed for God to be in charge of us. Sin definitely marred the plan up, definitely messed it up. And yet Christ's sacrifice gave us the opportunity to have a new way of life. And that's why some of you who maybe memorized Romans 12 with us and you've studied Romans 12. It's a, it's a popular chapter, but Romans 12 in the early verses calls Christians to be a living sacrifice because we're still alive. But you have to choose every day to allow yourself to be a living sacrifice. And then what happens, according to Romans 12, is little by little you begin to be transformed. And some of these battles that are such a battle right now are not going to be a battle in days to come because God literally transforms your desires within you. Self will just try to exalt itself in another way, but you get stronger and stronger and stronger, realizing the benefit of saying so long to it. So we've talked about sin. We've talked about self. I also want to talk just for a minute about the word death. It's so easy for us to think one-dimensional when we think about death. To think of death of the body. You know, we, if, if there's an obituary in the paper, what is it talking about? A person's body dying, right? We don't have any idea when their spirit died. You know, we don't have any idea if their soul's been reborn or not. When, how long would that death? No, it's talking about the body. And as people, we think of it like that. But we've got to understand it's so much deeper. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, which you'll eventually memorize because I know you're going to get that far. And it says that the wages of sin is death. What's a wage? It's something you get for doing something, right? Now, normally we think of a wage as a good thing, but the wages of sin, what you're going to get back from sin is death. But it's not just physical death. Death is going to affect every part of us. The word here for death is the word T-H-A-N-A-T-O-S. And it means comprising all the miseries arising from sin. Death of our spirit. God no longer lives in us. Death of our soul. We talked about that a minute ago. But it's how misery comes to the mind, the will, and the emotions of people who walk in sin. 
It's death for them. You've heard people say, I feel dead. Or you look at people's lives and it's like they're living as though they were dead. That's the misery of sin. And the death of our souls takes place when we live without God. It's the misery of the soul that arises from sin. It starts on the earth and it only gets worse as the body dies and then someone goes on to hell. (laughs) I mean, it's just misery after misery after misery. Death affects the soul. Whether it looks like it on the surface or not, it certainly does. And then you have the death of the body, which is physical death. We've got to have clarity when we think of death. And when we see this word death here in Romans 6, we cannot think one-dimensional. Think 3D when you're thinking death. Now, so we've got clarity on those terms. Let's talk about clarity of what the real issue is, which is the choice. If you think about it, there's really only ever been one issue, (laughs) and that is who is going to be in authority in the lives of men. Adam and Eve enjoyed God's authority. They were blessed by it until they chose to do their own thing. You got this whole Bible here. You know what it is? It's story after story after story of God dealing in the lives of people, trying to persuade them that you would be much better off if you allowed me to be in charge of your life and for how I created you. Because God knows how much we need his authority. Because sin brings destruction. And left to ourselves, ladies, we will choose sin. That is the law of sin and death. Just like the law of gravity, you put something in the air, it's going to drop to the ground. The law of sin and death is that man will choose sin if left to himself. That's why by chapter 6 of Genesis, every intent of the thoughts of man's heart was evil. Now, God is so good. Even after Adam and Eve made the choice of sin, they missed God's mark. You know what God did? It says in Genesis that God made garments of skin for them. That means, most people think that that means that God, the very first sacrifice, God did it. Knowing what was to come later for his son so that he could cover them because now they saw their nakedness. He began to create a nation that he might redeem the world. He gave the law and a sacrificial system to draw men back to himself. Now the Bible tells us that the law made a way for man to know God but it never really dealt with the complete issue. In fact, we're told in Galatians, the law was just a tutor. It was a tutor. It's a teacher. What did it teach us? That we need Jesus <laughs> on our own. We will never figure this thing out. We can't deal with the sin that is so deeply ingrained in us. Even if we try really, really, really hard, there's going to still be things that we don't even see because we're standing on top of the weed with our eyes closed and thinking we've got it all together and we really, really don't because our God is so holy that we can't even begin to line our lives up with him. I don't watch a whole lot of TV, but I do watch one show and it's The Biggest Loser. I love that show because it's just stories of life transformation that you watch over over time. And I love to see people's lives transformed. But a couple weeks ago as the season was getting started, this man was literally just crying and he, he was saying, I don't understand why I cannot get my body to do what I want it to do. Why I keep eating this food when even when I'm eating it, I don't want to eat this food. And I thought that is the issue of sin because we all live like that. We will be in the middle of sin and thinking, why am I doing this? I don't want to do this. But that's the law of sin and death of left to ourselves. And when man had finally come to the end of himself and he realized he couldn't choose God, No matter how hard he tried on his own, God sent Jesus to rescue us. 
and to make a way for us not only to be cleansed from sin, but to start to have a power within us to be able to choose God. Because the Bible tells us in Romans 8, 2, that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. See, if you don't know Christ, you don't have a choice. You're going to go towards sin because of the law of sin and death. But now that you know Jesus, it sets you free to make a choice because he's got the power within you, the same power that raised him from the dead. The same power that raised him from the dead is available in you and me. And that's the message of Romans 6, 7, 8, and 9. These verses we're going to look at really, really quickly. Verse 7 says, he who has died is freed from sin. Free. Free from sin. That means we're free from its demands, free from its lure, for its power, its ugly effects, its guilt, its debt. We're free. <laughs> I told you about the place I was in some 15 years ago saying, God, why am I doing all these things I don't want to do? I don't get it. If I love you so much now, if I'm in your word, why am I doing this? You know what God did? He lovingly took my face in his hands when he taught me this lesson. And he showed me it was because I still had self on the throne. I loved him. I loved God. I was reading his word. But day in and day out, I was allowing self to come on the throne. And I didn't even have clarity enough to know that I even had a soul and a spirit and a body. I didn't understand that. I didn't know. But once he began to teach me those things and I could get some understanding and could picture these things in my mind of what I was doing, he began to show me a different way than just trying to be this good Christian woman and get rid of my bad habits. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's, a, it's an idea of, not just an idea, actually, it's a real thing of casting down self every day, sometimes many times throughout the day, putting God on the throne and dealing with the root of the issue. Jesus is stronger than sin. He's stronger than sin. It says, for he who has died is freed from sin. And even these verses, as we go through, we'll see how much stronger than sin he is. Verse 8 says, If we've died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. And I would ask you tonight, I'm asking myself, what do I really believe about Jesus dying on the cross? It says, if we've died with him, we believe. Are you one of the we? (laughs) Do you really, really believe? The idea is that you would be completely, completely persuaded if you believe. I was cleaning off my desk this week, finally, and uh, came across this piece of paper. And it just, this statement on here just jumped off the page at me because I was meditating on that verse about believing. And I had been teaching at a retreat back in uh, March up in New Jersey. And I was talking about our spiritual vision impairments, just like, you know, we have sight impairments in our physical vision, well, we sometimes don't see things the way God wants us to see things. And we need to, you know, sometimes get some glasses or contacts spiritually, you know, and allow us to see. And I had asked the ladies that afternoon in our break time to have some quiet time with the Lord and really just jot down or journal what some of their own spiritual vision problems were. And this was my sheet where I had done the same activity. And I wrote this down. Believing my battle with food is too big that God is too frustrated with me and giving up on me. That's what I wrote down. And that's what I was believing last March. And Satan just had me in a grip in this area. I've struggled for years and years and years with allowing food to be an idol in my life. And I knew at that time it was really creating a distance between God and I. It was a struggle. But I identified it that day as, you don't really believe. 
You say you believe, but you don't really believe that he who has died is freed from sin. You don't believe that if you've died with Christ, that you'll also live with him and experience all the benefits that overcome death. Because death, one of the effects of death is that it affects your soul. And the choices that you make and your emotions and how you feel about yourself and all these different things. And I was feeling horrible about myself because I was continually walking in sin. Well, you know what? God stepped in that day and really did a work in my life. And I can tell you now, some five, six months later, I mean, I am walking in some extreme victory right now. And it has been such a sweet thing. But I really believe the root of that that victory is belief. That I changed what I believed that day. And sometimes I think we just need to look at ourselves and say, what do I really believe? How do I talk to myself and and tell other people about myself, about what my situations are? Do I talk about them like they're a hopeless cause? Or do I really believe that God is bigger than these things? What do we believe? And then we look at verse 9, and it says, Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. Now, there's a familiar word to us. It's the word knowing We've talked about the word know or knowing several times in chapter 6. Well, it's a different word every time than it is again here. And it means the force and meaning of something which has definite meaning. And ladies, there is force and meaning in the fact that Jesus was died, has died and was raised. There's definite force and meaning in that. The question is, does it have force and meaning to you? <laughs> does it have force and meaning to you? That death doesn't have mastery over Jesus. Not just physical death, but death of every kind. It doesn't master Jesus. And you get to join in his death and his resurrection. And the neat thing is, not only does death affect every part of you, salvation does too. Have you ever thought about that? Salvation affects your spirit. Your spirit comes alive again. Salvation, and that's called justification, by the way. We talked about that. Salvation affects your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Because you know what God does? He begins to sanctify your soul. It's a process. Sanctification is literally a cleansing, okay? And he sanctifies your mind, your will, and your emotions. And it happens over time as you cooperate with the Lord. And then you also get the effects of salvation for your body. Because, yeah, your physical body's going to die one day, but you're going to get a new one in heaven. And that's actually called glorification. So not only does death affect every part of you, so does life, so does salvation. And we've covered a lot tonight, I know, and we're going to look at this more as you go into your lessons this week. But let me remind you just quickly why it's so important to have clarity. I don't know if you've ever been asked to do a job or participate in something and you knew what the end result was supposed to look like, but you had no idea of the steps you were supposed to take to get to that, you know, that end result. So what do you do in that situation? Usually you set about to a bunch of busyness, doing some stuff, hoping it's going to work out that you're going to end up with the right result. Ladies, that's what's happening among a lot of believers in the body of Christ. See, they get it. We get it that we've been called to arrive at this place of righteousness. We all understand that, you know, that God wants us to live these pure and holy lives. But there's this lack of clarity and understanding of truth. See, I knew for years that I was responsible to live this holy and, you know, wonderful life as a Christian woman. But I didn't have any understanding. So I I, I didn't know what to do about that. So, you know what I did? I set about to busyness. But inwardly, I was still dealing with a bunch of the same old junk. (laughs) And see, a lot of times, even in the church, as good as it is, we can just get into all this busy, busy activity. And we're doing all this stuff and we're hoping and praying that God's going to do something. But we really don't have any clarity about what it is we're pursuing. 
and how to do it and, and what to do in these inner places in our lives and on our own in our relationship with God. And we just get in this busyness. I told you I'm studying Isaiah right now too. And it's interesting to me And in Romans 6, Paul's talking to people who are going through the motions of a bunch of religious activity, but they're not understanding and they're not genuinely expressing it in their lives. And exactly the same thing is happening in the book of Isaiah with the people of Judah. And God speaks to them, and he speaks really, really hard in the book of Isaiah. Listen to the way the Message Bible terms part of what God says. It's pretty serious. He says, quit your worship charades. I can't stand your trivial religious games, your monthly conferences, your weekly Sabbaths, your special meetings. Meetings, meetings, meetings. I can't stand one more. Meetings for this, meetings for that. I hate them. You've worn me out. I'm sick of your religion, 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 while you go right on sinning. Oh, I read that. That's our, that's our culture. But we don't have to live like that. We can genuinely be free from the effects of sin. He who has died is freed from sin. We need to listen and get understanding of how we were made, the purposes that God has for us, the marks he's called for us to hit, what death does to us, but what salvation brings as well. And I need to understand, all of us do. We need to allow God to take our faces in his hands and explain to us that we will never find our righteousness in ourselves. We can't. It doesn't matter how much we try. Even if right now, every single thing God was telling me I was doing exactly right, there would still be things in me that I don't even see. They're so deeply ingrained in me. But Christ has covered me. He's done the work. He asked me to take up my cross every day and deny self just like he did and just follow him because he who has died with Christ is freed from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe we'll live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. And if it doesn't have mastery over him, and that's death affecting every part, then it doesn't have mastery over me either because I've died with him. So I can literally say, and you can say, and anyone can say, who has Christ within them, so long, self. So long. I'm following Christ today. I'm following him tomorrow. I'm going to follow him tomorrow at noon and tomorrow night. And I'm going to follow him every single day until he takes me home. I'm following Jesus. Simple, yet very clear if we'll take the time to look at what God is really saying.